terror, greed, indifference. What is going on? A brilliant flash, and it would appear that the world is on fire. That the cross members and joists of rationality are blown away as the city disappears under the strain of total mania due to the insanity of who? All of us pay a different price, regardless of rank or station. What happened? What was it? We wanted to surrender. Who's to blame? Perhaps it is the end of days, human extinction. Do we even consider how it will end? We take for granted the causes and effects of how it will all end. In the case of the United States of America, what will happen if we do not get a hold of the insanity sweeping the country? After all of the hype, fright, and tripe, the world did not come to an end under mutual assured destruction due to a barrage of nuclear missiles. Neither did it end by a global pandemic or the raining down of fire from the sky from some meteor or comet. No extraterrestrial invasions, no mother nature running amok, no insect takeovers, no resurrection of the dinosaurs. The buildings still stand, though many no longer have windows or doors, and the smoldering flames have long since dissipated from many of them. Vehicles of all types are scattered about, many of them also burned, smashed, or simply left where their owners had parked them. The smell of decomposition after just a few weeks was overwhelming. No one seemed to have understood what was happening to them. Those of us whom survived simply called it the insanity epidemic, as though the people could not take it any longer and simply walked away from it all walked away from all of the insanity, being influenced into what to buy, what to eat, where to go, who was important, how to be popular, how to live. Those whom controlled the flow of information, controlled the flow of money, controlled the flow of freedom, who to talk to, who was right, who was wrong, and even what time it was. Even who should live and who should die adding war rules and rules on top of rules that conflicted with the first rules, more rules than the average person could handle, and then changing the rules like some shell game. No way for anyone to get an understanding of how to breathe. The air. No more air. Gone was the celebration, the merriment, and laughter long before anything else. The first casualties of civilization. No more marching bands through the streets of town, no more bandstands in the parks. Music no longer spoke to the soul, and the song had no meaning to the heart. Long flowing dresses caught upon the winds of beauty. No new innovation to be expected. Daredevils conducting death-defying stunts were all but forgotten. Just contradiction and hypocrisy was all that was left, and the mind could not tolerate it any longer. Fake was the accepted norm. A lie was the best pill for a hard day of nothing. Nobody caring about anybody was the common practice. Suicides were so prevalent that it was expected and even encouraged. Little did we know that it was the very technology we desired that was actually killing us. I must be careful, because just thinking about it can drive a person insane. What they could not walk away from, 
was their need for guidance, their need for instruction, their need for answers to life itself. Their need for the device was insatiable, more of an addiction than anything else. Looking at the device equated to eating the flesh of reason off the bones of civility, and no one cared. The rain was sudden, a torrent complete with blinding lightning and earth-shattering thunder. But I did not care. If I die, then I die. Then the darkness came, the darkness of pointless rage. Being told that overpopulation was a serious problem and the people just turned on one another. I think it was the gamers whom started it. The gamers whom were the most violent. Knives, guns, screwdrivers, saws of all kinds, heavy clubs of wood or metal. It did not matter. And rocks, big rocks, small rocks. No war could ever be as gruesome. They just hated each other. Families turned on each other. The closest of friends became the worst of enemies. The worst of all were the children. All they could do was stand there in innocent confusion, hoping, trusting when staring up at the grown-ups with the eyes of baby seals in a world of depraved indifference that only cared for homosexual rights, feminist rights, black rights, corporate rights, but nothing of children's rights because they consumed resources and gave nothing in return. Weaklings in a world where only the strong survived, and they crushed their skulls, battered their little bodies as a butcher's mallet on meat, sliced and diced, mowed down like wheat, clubbed to death as pups on an ice pack. The storm drains provided a different function for at least several weeks, all because the children wanted attention needed attention, but were a distraction from the devices. Gone was the happy laughter, just high-pitched screams of the dying. And with the extinguishing of child distraction was the realization for energy conservation and the survivors the strong turned on one another. My parents were my saving grace, I guess. They refused me the device, the device that I desired so much, that my friends had before their first day of school, that I begged for day in and day out, but was refused. My parents were stuck in the past, so I thought, and they were keeping me there with them. Oddly, when I did finally get a device, I did not understand the obsession for having one. I used it, but... I did not live on it, as though I was immune to the spell it had cast on everyone else. My parents explained that it was a matter of conditioning. Before all of the smartphones, television was the accepted norm for conditioning people, and that their parents, my grandparents, had barred them from that for a very long time. But you could not carry a television in your pocket. Now I see that I was lucky to have such caring parents. Nevertheless, I had committed the greatest sin of all. I stood by and watched it play out. I refused to implement some form of order. A word or an action might have been all that was needed. They had no organization, no agenda, no ideas. No direction. 
They may have mimicked my example, but in all reality, I did not care. I had become selfish to them. Then it suddenly stopped just as fast as it had started. Survivors wandered the streets, partially clothed, without a clue of what to do. They had no life, is what they said, or that they had run out of life. I tried to give them food, but without life. They had no clue of what I was trying to do for them. Even the pain of hunger did not register, for they had no life, and I watched as they fell to their knees and then to the ground. Some managed to sit down and wait for death. In the meantime, as the adults started dying, I gathered up the bodies of the children. Their deaths were the worst. If I could get past that, then the rest would be easy, though I could care less about their murderers. The rats could have their remains. Oh, how I wish it would stop raining. It takes days to bury the little ones, using plywood and concrete while ignoring the stench of death. None of them will be alone in this massive park, especially the infants. I make sure that they are close together so that they will find each other in death. Children should never be alone. What I would do for a priest right now. Months pass, and I look at what little is left of human remains and clothing. The most gruesome sight of all is watching the living, being eaten alive by vermin as they walked along a street without life, staring at their devices. The closest semblance to survivors as those whom I called intermediates. Those possessing just enough rational mind to not be completely encapsulated by their devices, but felt they still needed them. They were the walking dead, searching for any means of revival. Unfortunately, the first target for the violence was anything under corporate control, which meant the power stations. They had effectively wiped out their only means of power for their devices. After that, law and order was extinct. The police didn't care, and the soldiers joined the melee. The water just shut off, and then the oddest thing of all, organized looting. Not for food, but for life. They did not even touch most of the food, only the snacks, chips and dip, candy bars and cola, because no one could cook without a device. On the opposite end of the spectrum were the health nuts. Many of them were too worried about eating the wrong thing and wandered around like chickens with their heads cut off. I'm alone in a world full of crazy, and not one of them lifted a hand to help me bury the dead. Not that they were lazy, but that without life, they were unsure of how to help me or even proceed with living. Still, the people around me listened to me talk. I just wish they would say something in return, but instead I get gibberish, whining, and complaining. The sound of a slamming door in a windowless building makes me think that a couple was fighting. At least something of interaction, but I know it was just the wind. Even those with pets hadn't a clue of how to interact. Dogs seemed to be in control of them as they were dragged round or simply laid on the ground staring at the sky, dreaming of what was. Finally, it had stopped raining, and there were no more clouds in the sky. I now walk in the dust of what was, and the wind tormented me. The gentle breezes at night were the worst. The intermediates at least knew to go inside the buildings when it had rained or at night, 
but there was no light. What they did in there was a mystery. The night also brought the never-ending cry of children, of newborns whose mothers had abandoned them. Hospitals that turned into death centers because the medical personnel did not care and the doctor's only concern was to dispel the pain. I wanted to help. Oh, how I wanted to help. But I could not reach them. Because everything was chaos. The hospitals were chaos. The streets around the hospitals were chaos. And yet I could hear the crying through the walls, through the glass windows, through time. The ghosts of the children starving in the slowly dying hospitals haunted me. As the night grew darker, my fears slowly moved with the shadows of a rising moon. The eyes of those whom are no longer there lingered. Even worse were the feral pets that roamed about, packs of dogs feeding on rotting flesh or what was left in the supermarkets, herds of rats that migrated through the streets in search of a corpse or someone near death to feed their fat little gullets, their teeth gnawing through cans of food on the fast emptying grocery shelves. Rotting packaged meat is a smorgasbord. It is only they that kept the roach numbers in check, the vermin now owned what man once roamed. I retreat to my sanctuary, nothing elaborate. The basement of a great library, behind pillars of books, is where I resided. Places of intellectualism were of no concern to the insanity except the schools. Those places took a devastating beating, even more so than the government centers. The schools were perhaps the source of the epidemic. My bed is a new cot, and my dresser is a large backpack. But I dare not sleep, for the crying of the children are at their strongest then. To get them out of my mind would be a miracle of greatest extent. The constant crying torments me, driving me insane. I must depart this place. It is a curse. My penance fulfilled, I shall start out at first light in search of sanity, and perhaps the furthest I get away will bring an end to the crying nightmares. I'm so tired. Just fifteen minutes on the cot, just fifteen long minutes is all that I ask. In second thought, I would rather die. But some force of will is keeping death at bay. Sometime during the night, my body managed to shut down and I would experience a new day. I've had enough. I begin packing up crucial items into the back of an old but fully charged electric truck that I had kept well hidden from the intermediates. A lot of the space is taken up by solar panels, a small gas generator, and water. An ice chest full of food goes into the back seat, along with the nastiest tasting survival packs ever conceived by man. A pistol, rifle, and shotgun with plenty of ammo for each found a good sharp machete that I think would be nice for conserving ammo if necessary. I will depart before the break of day when I know the intermediates are either sleeping or hiding. Far from the city and the sun is riding high in the sky. The clean, clear air and the sound of wind passing through trees instead of broken buildings is a total relief. My first night in the wild is cold, but resounding. I go right to sleep without concern of any wild animals lurking about. A week or so into it and my food is thinning. I need to find something before breaking into the survival rations. The nice thing about man is that as long as I stay near the roads, I will always find a place full of supplies. Amazing the things that people store up, bottled water, and easy-to-cook meals. 
There are lots of food and water oases, so I should be okay in that department. But if the technology should fail, I would need domestic animals, horses, mules, or donkeys. I see a sign that says, Scenic spot near, and I decide to cut my drive early to relax and set up the solar panels for the truck. Reaching what I can only describe as a hidden wilderness lake, I do just that. Breaking out my cot, I lay down to relax, smelling the moist air. Lots of trees around, lots of natural beauty. If I had the tools, I would build a cabin and stay here. Before long, the moon is rising, as it always had, uncaring about what had happened here in the world. A sound. I hear something. A sound. I heard something. I know I did. Maybe an animal. But then I hear it again, and I look up, catching sight of a person. Giving chase, I commit one of the grossest violations of wilderness living. I leave my rifle. But there shouldn't be anyone around at all. I come to a massive rock that didn't seem to belong to this area. It stuck out like some old movie prop or tossed here by some warring giant, and there was a spot beneath it that made for a perfect hiding place for a small animal seeking safety. I approached and could see that it is much larger than it first appeared, and I could not resist looking in. A person who's more of a crab trying to squeeze tighter into the cramped space, crying softly. No way to even get close for only a child can fit in such an enclosed space. I try to coax them out, but they seem more feral than civilized. Disheveled hair, grimy skin, and something of clothing tells me nothing of gender, but at this point, it doesn't matter. Having any company would be highly medicinal because I did not want to be alone anymore. Finally, the darkness and the song of night creatures compels me to give up the effort of trying to convince them to come out. I figure that if they are feeling the same way that I am, they know where my camp is located. I depart, but slowly, never looking back. I want them to think that I do not care. By this time, the night creatures are in full talk and almost soothing to me, at least better than the sounds of a dead city. Reaching my camp, I figure that creating a fire is the easiest, but a dangerous necessity for my visitor. If that person is wild, they will not come near, but if they desire company, then they will be as a moth. After getting the fire going good, I instantly sense being watched. I make sure to keep my things close and fry up a little slice of ham and a piece of bread. The smell of food will be irresistible. A body slightly appears from behind a large tree in the firelight, staring intently, too shy to approach. A being whom is more alien than indigenous requires special treatment. I start talking. Nothing interesting, really. First my name, where I come from. A bit of small talk about the moon and nature, and then, when the food is good and hot, I prepare it and invite the stranger over to join me. The result is instant, and the food is snatched from my grasp. I have company. But are they intermediate? In any case, I have a reason to live. Perhaps I can break the addiction, break their need for the device. At least that is the theory. I slice more ham and bread for my stranger. It's nice to have company. But the night is cooling down quickly, and there is no way that I am letting this small stranger into my truck. I fetch a blanket, and after getting closer to the fire, the stranger wraps up tightly while fighting to stay awake. 
Sometime during the night, I had fallen into a deep sleep. But a sound awakens me, and to my utter surprise, my stranger, now revealing more gender, is busying herself around the fire of which no doubt she had rekindled. My bag that contained my hygiene articles is neatly laid out on the blanket I had given her. Now that she is cleaned up, I felt a certain level of rejuvenation. My vitality increased, and I sat up. Oddly, she spoke perfectly when greeting me, like any woman before the days of insanity, and she told me that her name was Eve. I must be dreaming. Wearing one of my flannel shirts, she was very thin, and it fit her like a shirt dress. Her tattered denim shorts and t-shirt were drawing on a branch. She told me that I snore, but that I slept soundly. No more crying children. She apologized for going through my stuff, but I really did not care. She asked what brought me to her little corner of the world, and I explained that I was traveling and wanted to rest. Next was a gentle interrogation about where I am going. Then I questioned her and she gave me the generic explanation that she was with her husband and his family and a few others on a camping trip when things got violent. Afraid, she had run away and gotten lost, but something didn't add up, not to mention her sudden reversion to an apparent civil state of mind. She briefly drifted out of my view when going to the back of my truck. I didn't pay it much mind, and I grabbed my soap and the towel that she had used and went down to the lake to wash up. Now, in the presence of a woman, I dared not conduct a haphazard body wash, but a full bathing. Upon my return, wearing just the towel, Eve had set up a makeshift table setting. Upon opening the door to retrieve my suitcase from the back seat, stern eyes were upon me as I discovered the source of her sudden intellectual recovery. A smartphone, slightly visible under the front seat that wasn't mine, and in absolute pristine condition. Right then, I deduced that she was an intermediate. She asked me what am I doing in a most imperious manner, and I will not be having any of that. And I just go into an instant rage, growling, my pistol is right there, and I grab it when she rushes at me. She instantly reciprocates, begging me not to take her device as tears stream down her face, and she started apologizing. I put the muzzle against her forehead just to see how far gone she was. But to my complete relief, she handed it over, a sign that a part of her mind was still intact. I then tell her to get out, and I slipped into fresh clothes. Keeping the pistol with me, I meet her by the fire, and she stares at me with burning eyes, a beast wanting to strike, demanding that I give her back her phone even brandishing a knife. Perhaps my assessment of her was premature. I removed the device from my pocket and placed it on the ground. Turning my pistol into a hammer, I lifted it, getting the necessary result. The knife fell to the ground, and so did she, begging me not to break it, even offering me sex if she could have it back. Her sudden submissiveness was more haunting than stimulating. I handed it to her, and she clasped my hand. Tears are again rolling down her face while kissing my hand. To my utter shock, she said, Help me, and then released my hand without taking the phone. That's new. No one had ever asked for help, as though a person possessed was trying to reach out from beyond the control of the devil. She then retrieved my dirty clothes, saying that she would wash them for me. Still, how do I help? The convenience of her device would simplify things, 
but may result in cancelling out any headway. Then I remembered what my parents had done. Books were the key, but I brought few with me. To reignite imagination and creative thought would take a library. That meant returning to my home. After eating, I packed up everything and my clothes were washed, but not completely dry. I gave her back her device and she looked at it off and on, a sign of hope, as if teetering on the edge of the abyss. I remembered the women before the end. Their faces stayed in their phones, stayed next to their bodies. The watches, the glasses and earbuds, even wearing bodysuits, gloves, shoes, implants. They wanted to be the machine. And everything had gotten out of hand. You could never see the actual person because secrecy was just as addictive. People could be fat or skinny, any race, any species with just a thought because the machine manipulated their actions and their lives. The trivial things of life, constantly making subtle changes, became the most important thing and overwhelmed their very perceptions of life. I and those like me did not want to be an emoji, avatar, or a character. We just wanted to live the natural way. I could remember how to do things like cooking and arithmetic without the device. I asked her if she would like to come with me, and she looked at me with eager eyes before getting in on the passenger side. I carefully turned around and departed. While driving, she leaned against me, briefly looking at her device before handing it back to me. I placed it in my pocket, and she stared out at the world, and I began her lessons. From memory, I tell her the names of everything we pass, especially the animals. It was important that she knew the names of the animals. Then I told her about that, which she could not see. A person should be aware of the existence of God. And with that, her mind turned back on, and the questions just poured out of her mouth. Good evening. My name is R.E. Chapman, and I would like to welcome you to my sixth podcast of which I did something different when addressing certain concerns that are having a definite impact on our very perceptions of good, honest living. The very world we are living in is experiencing a major sociological quake of epic proportions that is devastating the very structure we depend upon for a civilized existence. Yes, these are highly disturbing times for us citizens of this gathering for which we call the United States of America, but who are we exactly? Do we even know the answer to that question? Let's be honest with ourselves. Regardless of our political affiliation, level of patriotism, or our ethical stance, we are a total mess. No organization, no agenda, no ideas, no direction, just mania. How many of us seriously consider end-of-day scenarios during the Cold War? It was common talk, because the threat of world destruction loomed over our heads daily. But what of today? Would we ever imagine the deterioration of the mind as a culprit? In the past, when formal education was coming into being in the Western world, the human mind was starving for knowledge, and for those seeking it, were well-fed. Today, however, people feed the mind with virtual sustenance. Nothing substantial. What we are mastering in regards to our minds is how to retain, where to find the information, but not actually committing the information to memory once found. Instead of being the professor of Gilligan's Island fame, played by Russell Johnson, 
or Mr. Spock of Star Trek fame, played by Leonard Nimoy, we are becoming compartmentalized in regards to the programming of knowledge and information. Think about that for a moment. A person, maybe a lawyer, a meteorologist, or a chef, but to master many disciplines is a fading art form because we do not seek talent for the sake of passion, but for a wage. We do not learn to be mechanics, philosophers, or artists. We seek out others whom specialize in those things when we want them, but do not learn them ourselves. We could all be like Sherlock Holmes, Columbo, Poirot, and investigate our own lives, our own needs. Star Trek, the motion picture, learn all that is learnable. Spoken by Decker, played by Stephen Collins. Perhaps we should cast off terms such as baby boomers, millennials, Gen Xers, and Gen Zers in order to better understand our true generational state of existence, the dying mind generation. We speak of machines taking over, however, our limited intellect is blinding mechanisms roaming about like the movie Terminator 1984 to eliminate biological life forms or supercomputers such as Colossus, The Forbidden Project 1970. The suppressing of the human species is the limit of our intellectual perception because we fail to look beyond the physical. Ask yourself one simple question, what would happen if you stopped watching the television, stopped going to the movies, ignored all forms of news media, most importantly, let the smartphones die. The influence on our visual acuity is overwhelming. We take in so much noise that understanding the very basics of normal living is lost. That is how you implement a modern form of an old idea, eugenics. Professional eugenics now, in order to determine a person's position in the grand scheme of things, it is evolving in our children. If you do not have the latest smartphone, then you are a subject of ridicule. If there is still doubt in your minds, then ask yourself another simple question. Why are there always software upgrades? Yes, they say it's for increased performance, security, or to keep up with hardware development. But could it be something else? Remember, we are an adaptable species, though we fail to understand that notion whenever we are told that a virus is lurking in our midst. Since we are such an adaptive species, then changes must be implemented to maintain. These are the challenges we face in our time. That's all for now. Until next time, blessings to you. This is R.E. Chapman. Au revoir. And good night.